Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Town of Portland uh, podcast. Uh, we're here live in the Portland Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio at Portland High School. And uh, uh, our guest, as usual, our first selectman, Ms. Susan Bransfield, on the line is also our uh, Chatham Health Director, Mr. Russ Melmet, and also our Fire Chief and Public Works Director, Mr. Bob Shea. So, Susan, I know uh, Russ is on a timeline here, so I'll turn it over to you and go from sure, there. Sure, sure. No, it's good to be back on our podcast, Dave, and given that our health director, our Chatham Health Director, Russ Melmed, does have an emergency call that he, he'll need to take in a few minutes, we're going to have him go first and give us the update here in the Chatham Health District. Welcome, Russ. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Dave, for having me. And, um, you know, uh, things are, I'd say, changing a little bit across the state. Um, when it comes to COVID-19, we are seeing an acceleration of new cases, especially in eastern Connecticut and especially in southeastern Connecticut. Um, so um, I'm not going to say this is necessarily the, the, the dreaded second wave or a surge or a resurgence or whatever. I'll just say that we are seeing an increase in the number of cases. And it's concerning because, um, you know, risk begets risk. So the more people out there with COVID-19, the more likely anybody is to run into somebody with COVID-19 um, and not be aware of it. So we really want everybody to continue doing all the things that, that um, we know help prevent infection, that is staying home when you're sick. If you've been around somebody who you know had COVID-19, make sure you speak to your physician and stay home and stay away from others. Wear a mask when you're out and about in public. Wash your hands and, uh, and stay away from crowds, especially as we move into some of the holidays, right? So next week or at the end of this month, we're, uh, we're going to have Halloween. And State Department of Public Health has issued some recommendations around Halloween. There, there are no bans on anything. This isn't going to be one of those things where, the, you know, I think the governor or, or anybody bans trick-or-treat or anything like that. We just want everybody to be aware of what might be some high-risk type of activities and, and, and how you could make those activities lower risk. So the one thing I'll talk about are Halloween parties. So it's getting cool. It's likely to be cool at the end of October. So if you're planning on having a party or going to a party, and if that party is going to be indoors, please keep the number of people down. And if you don't feel comfortable, if you've been invited to a party and the number is starting to creep up and there are going to be 25 people or more indoors at a party, I really would discourage anybody from attending those kinds of events because indoor spaces with cold air, with lots of people, um, are are setting are, are, are looking like those high-risk type of activities where we see a number of cases occur if one person comes to an event like that. So you might have heard the term super spreader events and things like that. Um, I don't want to use that kind of language. It's very dramatic, but that is where we see more people getting infected from a single case than we see in outdoor settings and well-ventilated um, indoor spaces and things like that. So really avoid those indoor big Halloween parties. Don't assume that your Halloween mask is going to prevent the spread of uh, COVID-19 respiratory uh, particles from your, from your breath, from your mouth, if you are sick and don't know it. Underneath that Halloween mask, wear a regular cloth face covering or a surgical-type mask just to, just to keep those respiratory secretions to yourself and put your mask over it. Um, I'm thinking it might even be more comfortable because whenever I put on those plastic Halloween masks, my whole head and face sweats. It's really uncomfortable. 
So maybe having a cloth mask over part of my face underneath that will be nice and absorbent and, and stop all that, that, that moisture from, from bothering me. Um, trick-or-treating. Um, you know, trick-or-treating, normal door-to-door trick-or-treating is considered by the State Department of Public Health and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as a high-risk type of activity. So if you're going to hand out candy to people, we're not telling people you absolutely shouldn't go trick-or-treating. If you're going to go trick-or-treating, A, stick with a small group of people that you live with. You know, go with your family. Let's avoid getting together in huge groups with your friends and, and people from other, other towns and other parts of the state or other states. Let's avoid those huge mass, masses of people who you don't live with going door-to-door trick-or-treating. Just go with your family, um, and that's, that's the best way to approach it because your family are people who you live with, and, and you know, you're all um, at risk for spreading virus to yourselves anyway when you're in your home, so we don't want you to get into groups that you're not normally with and potentially spread COVID-19 to others. So stick with your family, wear a mask, and if you're going to be giving out candy to people, Let's avoid the communal bowl where you just stick it in the trick-or-treaters' faces and they rummage through with their hands because you're introducing, you know, dozens or potentially more people's hands into that same candy. So, you know, what, what the DPH is recommending is put together a couple of little, you know, baskets or bags, individual bags of Halloween candy that you can give to trick-or-treaters and just take the bag and put it in their, in their bags or line them up on your front stoop or at the end of your driveway and let people come by and just grab the little bag of candy and be on their way and put it into their own bags. Um, I know there are people out there who are getting really creative with designing chutes from the top of their stairs with, you know, PVC pipes and people will come and put their bags on the end of the pipe. That's great. If, you ha- if you're handy, you want to do something like that, fantastic. Um, I'm not that handy. Um, you know, I may, I may go the CDC and DPH route and just put together little bags and put them at the end of my driveway on the stoop and let people pick them up. Um, traditional, you know, trunk or treat type of events where people park and they get out of their cars and they move through looking at trunks and getting candy from cars that are parked right next to each other in big groups and people are passing one another. Let's avoid those things. You know, I've heard some folks are, are planning sort of drive through trunk or treat events, um, again, where people are giving out little bags, individual bags of candy to people as they drive by and look at their trunks. It's all very social distanced. Everybody's wearing a mask. There aren't masses of people, crowds of people going from place to place. Um, that's a lower risk type of event. And I don't think I need to tell anybody, but really we're, we're going back to the 1800s here if I tell people to avoid, you know, bobbing for apples. Susan, Dave, I don't know if you guys have bobbed for apples, uh, you know, in a while, but if that's the kind of thing you like to do, let's avoid the bobbing for apples. That to me is, uh, I know, again, I'm, I'm dating myself for sure and, and hearkening back to maybe a bygone era, but if anybody likes to bob for apples, let's avoid bobbing for apples this Halloween. <laughs> I, I did that in Cub Scouts. College. Right, right. <laughs> it's been a couple decades since I've bobbed for apples, uh, but to, to, for folks who like to, like to, again, harken back to a bygone era, let's wait until next year, the year after, when we're sort of maybe hopefully beyond COVID-19 to go back to bobbing for apples from, from a giant, you know, barrel. Um, let's, let's avoid those kind of activities. Nice. Um, so that's Halloween in a nutshell. Uh, I also want to talk about phase three reopening. So today, uh, we're recording this on October 8th, the governor has officially moved the state into phase three of reopening. So, so what does that mean? Well, among other things, the governor has increased the permission, the, the, the cap on indoor private gatherings to either be 50% capacity of whatever the space is, if it's a hall or rental hall or things like that, or 100 people total 
That includes, you know, front of the house staff, serving servers and bartenders and things like that. Um, whichever is lower. So if you have a giant hall that can seat 500 people, you can't have 250 there. You can still only have 100. Um, so 50% capacity or 100 people, whichever is lower. Um, outdoor private gatherings, weddings, things like that, that's capped at 150 people. So those are both up from what they were previously. Um, restaurants are now allowed to have 75% capacity indoors so long as each of the parties seated at tables are six feet apart. So the back of one chair to the back of the closest chair at the neighboring table has to be six feet, but they are allowed to have 75% capacity. Um, the only way that they can keep the six-foot capacity um, closer is by installing non-porous plexiglass barriers in between those, those groups of people. So, you know, typically what we're thinking of is restaurants have booths, sometimes fixed booths that are, you know, fixed to the floor and can't be moved around to get six feet of space. So for places like that that have booths, if they install plexiglass barriers between the booths, they are allowed to seat parties at booths right adjacent to one another, but still capped at 75%, whatever their original capacity is. Same with personal services like, you know, barbers, uh, hairdressers, cosmeticians, salons, things like that. They're allowed to go to 75% capacity, six feet of spacing in between each people having the services done. Um, so that's kind of what things are looking like with phase three. I think that's it's good. I think it gives some of our businesses the flexibility to to increase capacity. Again, as we're getting towards colder weather and people are coming indoors, you know, restaurants in particular, I think, are going to struggle to to have people who want to sit outdoors. And and so I think the governor is trying to hit hit a balance between um, keeping businesses profitable while preventing COVID nineteen transmission in those in those businesses. So um, that's that's phase three in a nutshell. Um, there is some talk of phase three being pulled back in areas that are seeing considerable amount of community transmission of COVID-19. Principally right now what we're looking at is southeastern Connecticut, in particular New London County. Um, so I know that we've seen acceleration in cases in Norwich and in, in New London and those areas, also in Colchester, which is another town in, in Chatham Health District. So the governor is considering, you know, making different recommendations for phase three for those places. So stay tuned. I don't think there's anything official right now. Um, it may be a local decision. I'm not sure about that. That's actually what my call is about um, and why I have to jump off here as soon as I can. So that's kind of what's going on with, with COVID-19, um, phase three, Halloween. You know, right now I think schools are doing a very, very good job with all their mitigation strategies. Sure. Um, yep. We are seeing... Some cases enter schools with COVID-19, which we knew was going to happen, and we're really not hearing about any outbreaks or clusters that are occurring as a result of cases that enter school, which is great to hear. It means that our schools are doing a great job with their disinfection, which with their HVAC, with social distancing, with mask compliance, with cohorting, you know, all those things that are going to keep our, our students safe in schools seem to be working um, um, well. So that's good news, um, but we're keeping an eye on those things. So, um, you know, it's, it's only been about a month since schools have been in session. So you know, I think we still have a lot to learn. But so far, things seem to be going pretty well in our schools. So that's encouraging. Right. Uh, we just did, uh, in fact, Dr. Britton just did his podcast uh, an hour ago. And uh, they're going to be, uh, they voted to open uh, fully uh, October 26th. Uh, and one of the questions that he asked me to ask you, okay, uh, is uh, what is the benchmark, um, rate, uh, you know, rate of infection, okay, uh, considered uh, acceptable or non-acceptable? 
Yeah, the rate that we use is a trigger for recommending to go for less in-person learning and might favor hybrid models as opposed to all in-person is 10 cases per 100,000. That's a rate, you know, it's calculated by taking the number of new cases over a seven-day average, dividing it by the population of the town or area, and then multiplying that number by 100,000, and you get a rate of case new cases over seven days per 100,000. So that's how we get that rate. The number of the benchmark is set at 10. Now, it's not the only thing that we consider. Um, you know, if, for example, a school district didn't feel that their HVAC system um, was up to, up to snuff, up to date, you know, could handle, you know, increased ventilation rates, if they didn't feel like they could get the disinfection and the cleaning done, if the school didn't feel like compliance was high with students wearing masks, um, if they felt like they were seeing a lot of students coming in and ignoring the sick policies um, or trying to come in, for example, after they've been told to quarantine, come before, come back before their, their quarantine period is over. If compliance with all of those other mitigation strategies was poor, then, then that 10 per 100,000, you know, might not be low enough. Then schools should consider, you know, whether or not they should wait until they hit that 10, 10 per 100,000 mark before going back to hybrid. But um, you know, that, that's, I think, a key indicator is 10 per 100,000. Sure. So long as schools feel that they can accomplish all the other things successfully. Great, great. Oh, that's great, Russ. I appreciate it. And, uh, again, thanks for, uh, you know, hanging in with us and uh, uh, giving us the, the update here. So we'll let you. Yeah, that's no problem. Always happy to come on. And uh, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to jump off to my emergency right. meeting. Thanks so much, Russ. It's good to hear from you. All right, yeah. Russ. Thank you, yeah. Russ. I appreciate it. All right. As Russ jumps off, uh, we're going to turn it back over to uh, our commander-in-chief here, uh, <laughs> Susan, and it's all up to you. And okay. We had our uh, uh, little bit of activity last night. Uh, we had our uh, uh, selectmen's meeting, and, and right in the middle of the selectmen's meeting, Bob had to go out to right. a, a car accident. Yeah. We had a power failure in town. So anyway, so what's happening? Well, um, I will highlight some of the things that we talked about at the meeting last night with the Board of Selectmen. Uh, we concentrated quite a bit of our effort last night talking about energy savings. Um, together with our Public Works Department, we are trying to go through all of the buildings within our community. And once again, uh, we've done this in the past, but once again, we are updating the lighting and improving the efficiency and thereby reducing the cost associated with the care and upkeep of our buildings. Um, the selectmen passed to a town meeting the ability for us to um, partake in an energy efficiency grant that Eversource is making available to us. And that'll be for a couple of our firehouses and town hall. Uh, we have done this previously under Bob Shea's leadership in terms of the library. So now we're going to be doing uh, three other buildings, and we look forward to passing that at, at a uh, town meeting, which will be on October 21, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. The other thing we talked about last night, and we had a really good presentation from the Green Bank, and the Green Bank is partnering with the town of Portland and putting solar panels on the Brownstone Intermediate School. It'll be a power purchase agreement, which means the Green Bank pays for and installs, maintains, and up, keeps all the upkeep for these panels. And in turn, the town buys the power that's produced by the solar panels at a reduced rate. And that reduced rate is fixed for the next 20 years. 
thereby allowing immediate savings because we'll be paying less per kilowatt hour than what we're paying now. And that savings is predicted to increase uh, largely due to the fact that rates will increase, but the rates that will pay for that power will remain the same. So it was a really good presentation, and uh, I'll be looking at the contract and working on that with them. We hope to have that contract ready uh, at the beginning of December, and then soon thereafter, they'll be putting the panels on the Brownstone Intermediate School. This is a project that our Board of Education, along with our Clean Energy Task Force, has been investigating, and we look forward again to saving some money in terms of energy uh, expenditure. So that was very, very good meeting. We're also going to be uh, working in the future at looking at putting solar panels on our capped landfill. That's something that we'll be hearing more about in the future. A couple other things that we talked about last night, some are informational. And one is that our canine officer, Nero, who works for the uh, police department and his uh, keeper is Sergeant Kelly, is very ill. And uh, we ask that everybody uh, say a prayer for him. He's, uh, he's been a, our canine for many years and done a great job. And we're sorry to hear that he is not well. And we will keep you up to date on, on his condition. Uh, we also, a fun thing coming up in October, October 30, as Russ Melmed talked about some Halloween activities, the children's department at the Portland Library on October 30 from 4 to 6 is going to have a come drive by and they will have bags of treats for the youngsters that are able to come. It'll be a first come, first served. I understand we may have Officer McGruff there and a couple of our police officers there as well to assist our librarians and our Parks and Recreation Department. So they're offering some opportunity for youngsters to trick-or-treat in a new way this year um, through this drive-through. And the last thing I want to talk a little bit about is another grant that the town is going to be applying for. And uh, working with Bob Shea and our town engineer, Jeff Jacobson, we're looking at improving the sidewalks in the area of Freestone Avenue onto High Street, and then across at Cumberland Farms to the area where the Top Dog is, and around the corner on Airline Avenue, and continuing down to Riverside Street and into Chatham Court. It's an area that has some sidewalks of those streets that I mentioned, but there's what we call gaps. And those gaps mean that when you're walking or bicycling on the sidewalk, you have to then go in the road and it's a very unsafe situation. So we're looking to improve it. I think it'll be a much more walkable area. We're going to also include a bus shelter that will be in front of the Middlesex uh, Hospital offices that they have there on High Street. And we're also looking forward to youngsters that come from the high school, the middle school, and Brownstone Intermediate School be able to walk safely down to that area of town. So we'll be putting that together and keeping our fingers crossed. We'll be able to get some grant revenue for that project. And uh, I thank all the staff that have been involved with that. 
So that's a brief update on some of the things that are going on in town hall. Great. Dave. Fantastic. And uh, again, just reiterating the, the town hall uh, has been opened uh, and so forth. And we do have uh, some COVID precaution uh, uh, guidelines that we have set up uh, as you come into the town hall, but it is open to the public. And uh, uh, we have our, as I call it, our, our Walmart greeters uh, down at the uh, the main entrance and uh, to assist any customers coming in and uh, adhering to all of the uh, COVID uh, uh, precautionary measures. And uh, that way they can get their business done uh, in, in the town hall. Yeah, so, it's working out well. It is. It is. And uh, go from there. So, all right. I think, uh, Bob, I think you're up on deck. And uh, again, you had a busy night last night yes, with your EMS yes. crew. And uh, so uh, tell us what's happening. It seems to always be busy. It's just one of those years. You know, we had a very brief storm last night that, um, you know, created some winds. Um, those winds weren't, um, you know, across... Um, as strong across the entire town, but they did hit pockets of the country that we had some tree damage, um, which is, you know, going to continue. The trees, many trees are getting old, uh, trees that are into the wooded areas that, um, you know, need some attention um, are, you know, becoming slightly compromised. We're doing an awful lot of work. Uh, Eversource is here every day, as I'm sure many of the residents can see, doing their work, which... Um, is part of their mitigation plan for their wires. So we really don't have much to do with that, although we are in contact with them, following them, asking them to do additional work if they can, if we find some hazards that might have not been on their initial list uh, that was, um, you know, looked at over a year ago. Um, So they've been, you know, helping us try to do some of that, but they are working out on their own plan that was established, uh, you know, about 12 months ago. And they are making some headway. They'll be here probably well through uh, the spring of next year. Um, they did get delayed as well as um, everybody has due to the pandemic, but uh, they'll continue their work. So you'll see them out there. Be careful with that. All our crews are still actively trying to keep up um, with their schedules, you know, that we fell um, well way behind on doing some, you know, miscellaneous repairs and curb replacements and some patching that we usually do. We were delayed in the beginning of the year, as I've spoke on um, in the past, due to the companies trying to get back up and running and making product available. And then we had the storm, which put us on a um, basically an eight or nine week, two months straight um, of a brush uh, cleanup uh, with two full crews uh, with equipment that we needed to, to rent to get it done. I can, I can say that uh, we completed that. Um, as of yesterday, which was, or you know, uh, basically on the seventh, um, which is is interesting because it's kind of the anniversary of the storm. Um, you know, there are some areas that we still have to get back to that are in common areas that we had to clear roads, and we hope to be able to move some of the debris that certainly is not a hazard, um, but it will be advantageous for us, you know, for mowing purposes on the sides of the roads and just overall um, appearance um, that we, you know, get out there and try to clean those areas up as uh, we have time to do. So our sewer department is still working on making the necessary accommodations to begin a project that should start sometime at the end of November um, for some big improvements that we need to make down there to our primary pumps and some of our tanks. 
so that is ongoing. Um, they're also making improvements that were needed on some of our pump stations. We continue to ask the residents not to flush things that they should not. We are seeing an abundance of masks oh. in our sewer lines, which oh, is <laughs> a little ridiculous, yeah. to say the least. Um, so please, um, you know, flush what is meant to be flushed, and we won't have any problems um, with sewage in your home. Mm. Um, that's the direct relation to clogging one of our our pumps, and uh, we just certainly want to follow all the guidelines for that. Um, you know, our supervisor there works very hard. Um, they're out clearing pumps on a weekly basis. They're checking them on a daily basis to make sure we don't get to that stage, so we're hoping that all our residents out there can do their best to follow the proper procedures and, 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 you know, flush what's supposed to be flushed down the sewer and throw away in your garbage what should be thrown away as refuge in your garbage. So we'd appreciate that. Right. Um, our water department continues each day to watch this drought situation. Uh, it's getting pretty critical in certain areas of, the, um, of our counties, uh, especially eastern Connecticut, um, in the Hartford area, Tolland County, those counties have gone to a stage three, um, which has um, created uh, a lot of um, conditions that need to be taken um, just far as usage. We, as of yesterday, um, have been classified as stage two in the Middlesex County area, which is a heightened alert. Um, it's starting to uh, recommend that you know we watch, that we we use some of the following conservation measures for public water users, especially our private well owners who are really, you know, out on their own um, and they, you know, they're relying on water simply provided from their wells. Um, they're asking that, you know, we turn off our sprinkler systems for the season. We take advantage of trying to get, you know, the cool air in here. And, and if you must water your lawn, you should only really do it once a week. And you should pull back on that once a week um, as far as time. Uh, it's also recommended that we do no planting of any new lawns or any type of ventilation uh, vegetation um, due to the fact that it's too dry. Um, there's not enough water in the ground to sustain um, the planting of those new new trees or lawns or any other small vegetation, and that will require, um, you know, daily watering to keep those plants alive until they're able to go dormant. So they're they're asking to refrain on that type of activity. Uh, any unuseful uses of water, such as, you know, cleaning and rinsing off your driveway and your sidewalks and your patios, um, try to refrain from doing that washing activity outside that many of us may do, um, you know, in the fall, uh, pressure, pressure washing your homes and things like that that are going to be useful uh, uses of water. Uh, run your dishwashers and washing machines at full loads. Uh, you know, account for what you're doing and making sure that you're just not running it because um, it's just a convenience. Make sure if you're doing that, um, that you're using those at their efficiency and make sure that they're full and... Um, uh, you know, take advantage of that. Don't leave the faucet running unnecessarily. You know, these are little things that we probably all should be thinking about every day, um, but now we should really be paying attention. Um, don't leave it, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, simple things like that, washing dishes, when you're shaving, even, um, you know, simple tasks like that use an awful lot of water. 
and take shorter showers. Get in, um, get done, you know, what's needed to be done, and, uh, and, and get out and uh, try to limit your showers to five minutes. So some of these are great um, suggestions. They're asking us to, you know, reach out to our public to make sure that they're aware of these things that we probably should be looking at every day just on an overall conservation of water throughout our country, never mind our region. And we should be very uh, attentive to leaks, little leaks around the house that don't seem to you know, bother you much because it's more of a nuisance than you might want to start taking care of those, especially before we get into the winter months. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. So some of the things on water there, Dave, that we've talked about for a couple of days together and DPH and their web their web uh, webinars that I've been trying to attend. You know, we got to watch. It's still dry. Oh, absolutely. It's still dry. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the biggest culprits and potential sources of leaks in the household and people uh, uh, should be aware of is the toilet. Um, you know, primarily, uh, a lot of times, you know, people uh, all of a sudden will call our uh, water and, and sewer collector of revenues departments, how come my water bill so high? Well, you know, uh, do you have any leaks? Well, no. Uh, you know, has your toilet been leaking? Well, I sometimes I have to jiggle the handle to make it stop. Um, you know, those are the potential uh, red flags to, to, to look at the mechanisms. And one way you can check on uh, making sure that your toilet is functioning properly is, uh, as far as in relation to leaks is that uh, uh, drop a couple drops of food drop, uh, food coloring in your tank. And if that, uh, and, and don't flush, okay, and if that uh, food coloring comes out into your bowl, uh, you have a leak. So um, those, those are some uh, telltale signs um, that you should, uh, you know, either uh, replace. Change your flapper. <laughs> change your flapper uh, and so forth. And, right. and, and also uh, from a standpoint of uh, the newest technologies out there, most of the uh, uh, requirements uh, are now on new toilets are 1.6 gallons. So uh, if you've got an old gallon, uh, toilet that flushes 4 or 4.5 or 5.5 gallons, you don't need 5 gallons of water to flush liquid. So uh, go from there. So. That's right. You know, that's a good point. That is probably the largest cause. And people are unaware that, you know, if your toilet happens to flush and no one's there, the chances are that, you know, you're leaking into the bowl. It's a very slow leak. And then you get to your level where your float requires your toilet to to flush and fill, or you'll just hear it fill. You won't hear it flush. So those are little things to keep an eye on. Everybody that's home now is probably more aware, but, you know, before you'd spend 10, 12 hours out at work and, uh, you know, you're, your toilets could be filling numerous times a day when you're not there. So. Sure. And that's, that's, that's known as the phantom flush. The phantom flush. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, turn the TVs down and, <laughs> and the phone volume down, and you might hear that happen. And there you go. Just some recommendations. We're not at a – I will say that, you know, every report that, that we have um, so far from MDC is they're in good shape still. Um, although they're monitoring and will continue. We haven't um, had any direction other than just, um, you know, from DPH as, as far as water conservation. So we want to, you know, get that out there. Maybe we'll put a note in, um, you know, the billing that will be coming out soon as a reminder. We'll get something up on our website. You know, these are the, these are the notification steps that we would take to just remind people that, hey, other than those that are on wells that I'm, I'm sure that are already and some might be experiencing problems, um, that we should try to do everything we can to try to, um, you know, re reserve some of our available water until we get some significant rainfall in the future that can start to, 
you know, bring some of these levels back. I will tell you that it takes a long time to bring well levels back. It really does. So it'll take, you know, months to do that. Hopefully, you know, that doesn't get any worse. Our well right now um, that we use to, to offset and to produce quite a bit of water, uh, we're <laughs> shutting that down and turning it back on and shutting it down. We're playing the game of levels. We're watching and monitoring our level there. We got pretty low this week. So obviously we have a a level that we can run our pumps at, and um, we certainly don't want to get to that level and damage our pumps um, or the well itself. So, you know, unfortunately we're at that situation where, you know, we we can't produce and we'll buy a little more and hopefully everything will work out in the end. So the biggest thing is to be able to continue to supply um, and supply safe water. So. Sure. Absolutely, Bob. And if anybody wants any uh, tips on uh, water conservation, you can go to my website, which is basically WalterTheWaterSaver.com or Water and People. And uh, there's some uh, excellent tips on both indoor uh, uh, conservation measures as well as outdoor conservation measures. So uh, to go from there. So again, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. And um, I think uh, that should uh, anything else that you need to cover as far as I can. No, just that, you know, uh, just everybody we have a big list to finish uh, for all departments. Um, you know, we're highways out there, um, kind of patching up uh, areas that uh, you know we we need to get to from the list from July. <laughs> so we're going to do our best. Hopefully, the weather stays good. Um, we got out to High Street. We backfilled all the curbs there. Um, you know, we did have to wait a, a little bit of time, um, anyways. We like to curb to um, in that area to really secure. Um, after we put the new curbing on the lower side of High Street uh, to Bartlett. But the guys were out there working um, over the past three days to backfill those areas, so we're glad that we got that done. And there's just a lot of work going on through all the departments. The transfer station has been busy. The pile down there is enormous. We talked a little bit about that last night. We're going to have to do something with that. We have as much brush down there that we gathered all of last year. Um, in less than eight weeks. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing how much damage that storm that came in as a tropical storm right. um, really did. But um, there was a lot of winds in there that were a little different than tropical. So. Sure, sure. Well, yep. great. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. You bet. Um, I, I guess that pretty much wraps it up, Susan. I, I think, think so. Unless you have. the Again, the, we're live here in our uh, podcast studio at uh, Portland High School. This is episode 24 of the uh, our weekly town of portland podcast and uh, uh again our podcasts are broadcast as well on the uh, uh comcast channel 15 educational channel um so you can hear it there for those of you that uh, uh don't have a computer or whatever and uh but anyway uh f- until we uh our next podcast uh, please uh as russ says uh uh Stay home if you can, uh, wash your hands, wear your mask, and uh, we will uh, bid you a good farewell. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dave Kosminski. Please tune in every week for new and relevant conversations about the town of Portland. You can find us at portlandct.org or at YouTube forward slash town of Portland, and now wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. This podcast was produced by the Town Tech Educational Partnership Program, which is a partnership between Portland High School and the Portland Town Hall. If you're looking to start a podcast for your business or organization, check out towntech.org forward slash podcast to learn more.